Yeah, like DAOs, DAOs are like the way I see them is very much like what Facebook group did for um, or Facebook did for web too. Like suddenly you can really organize a lot of people on a cause and stuff. Here you have the web three equivalent that is much more deep because it's related to a transactional monetary interaction. So like you can actually empower people not just harvest their data, you can actually include them in the financial system, not just push ads to them. So DAOs to me are like a very, very fertile ground for experimentation. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. I'm Adriana Bellotti and today's guest is Daniel Barr. Daniel is a lover of memes and emojis and the mastermind behind BitForward, a wonderful community of people interested in decentralization, disruptive innovation, promoting open source systems, and crypto economic empowerment. I feel really privileged to be a part of BitForward and can't wait for you to get to know Daniel. Let's go! Hi, Dan! Hi, Adriana. How's it going? Very good, very good. How are you? I'm all right. Nearly the end of the week, so, mm. you know, how's your week going? Always very busy, you know, crypto life never rests, but it's good, lots going on and good stuff cooking. Good stuff cooking, I like it. Mm. Am I going to be invited for the feast? Of course, of <laughs> course. You are, you are part of the kitchen staff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> Let's uh, go back in time and tell me why. What, what were you doing before you discovered crypto? Um, I was uh, during my undergraduate studies back in Israel. Mm-hmm. So I was studying physics, materials engineering, semiconductors, biophysics, then all kind of those nerdy stuff. Yeah, this was my. Uh, life previous to crypto i suppose did you have a job or you were full-time student full-time phd student what was the deal Uh, when i first heard about crypto i was still a full-time student Um, i then went to work as an engineer in the semiconductors industry Mm -hmm. Um, then i also did um, I, i went to do my phd studies again in engineering this was quantum now electronics at the time um, and only then I uh, went on to kind of go full into cryptopreneurship and dropped the academic track and basically started this wild ride. So what made you change your mind and go down this rabbit hole? Yeah, so, so it was a progression, just like the crypto story globally, I guess. When I first heard about it, I was um, more enamored by the fact that, wow, this is like really cool, we can do all kind of community um, oriented financial activity at the time what was more of a thing was Silk Road I had a friend who used to um, be entertained by the fact that he can get his recreational substances um, it didn't really click to me as a, like a massive thing I thought it's more of an anecdote and, and like a cool story but later on um, when uh, when the Ethereum white paper came out actually at the time Vitalik spent some time in Israel and like he was sharing his ideas around the community there um, 
only then did I start understanding, all right, this is actually much bigger than only the transaction network. Not to say that like Bitcoin transaction network isn't like fundamentally a big shift in mindset, but like suddenly, you know, general purpose computing is something that always like, um, this was the reason I went to engineering in the first place. I saw like how computing is something that completely transforms society. And then like how we have a new kind of computer that is peer to peer. This is something that really kind of like hit, like hit it for me and made me understand it like wow there's so much to learn and to do here in creative environment and how did you go did you just drop everything and went to work with uh, crypto how did you make the transition yeah actually for me the transition was quite slow because i was immigrating at the time yes so when i first got into it i was still back in israel and then um, kind of halfway between the nerdy academic track and I uh, got into this like really exciting quantum computing research um, program here in Sydney. And that kind of took a bit of time for me to um, settle in a new country and stuff. But the, both the entrepreneurial virus and the crypto virus already were incepted. And then as I was already like um, in my academic uh, work, I started running those uh, workshops, meetups, for nerds to come and uh, discuss how to take the um, ideas from crypto concepts and actually apply them in real life. So like it's, it's always been the focus of what I've been looking at is how do we take those things and apply them? What are the works that people are doing? So this was a progression that as I was a PhD student, transitioned to part-time doing it, transitioned to more time doing it, consulting, working with banks, eventually like dropped out of PhD and got myself full-time in it and now basically I have so many things going on in that that like I, I can't think of anything other than crypto in my life <laughs> sort of. <laughs> That's kind of a good segue for the next question which is what are you working on now? So you have bit forward and you have a whole bunch of other balls in the air? Hmm. Yeah so bit forward has been what I started four years ago or more or less and in many ways, this is actually the only thing. Everything else that I'm doing is kind of, kind of a part of the funnel that I'm using um, so that we can accelerate the cryptopreneurship ecosystem. So whether it's ventures that we've incubated or supported later on in their cycle, um, it's always plugging into how we can create meaningful, um, like meaningful activities for both the community, the ventures themselves. Um, we have activities with academic researchers, um, how can we onboard more people into um, either being a developer or a designer or a community person? Everything basically is around how we can grow the pie together. And this is the ethos of before. This is why the, the tagline that sounds a little bit weird for people at first, it's um, crypto community ventures network. So there's a meaning for why, why this is the uh, tagline. And it's basically, yeah, to work obviously only in the crypto space because there's just not enough time to even cover only that. Then community, we're very, very community focused. So we're not so much um, interested in things that are removed from the grassroots. So like we're, we're very much at the grassroots level. Ventures is because we're basically working in stuff that have impactful, tangible progress to be applied right now. It's not like some just the theory and stuff. Even if we're working with researchers, 
It's about bringing this into applications. It's about bringing business into the equation. Can you give an example of that? Yeah. So um, one recent project we've been working on, Alice. It's a mobile dub browser. So we've incubated this in the University of New South Wales. Actually, they've backed the seed, not seed, actually, safe funding for that. And um, at this stage, after about half a year of the project, we're looking at spinning it out to get clients from overseas. And, and Mark Pereira is actually a great guy, should also come on that podcast, I believe. Um, so he's basically like taking the lead of that. And that's one project. We're also working actually with another excellent mobile team, Alpha Wallet, which We've been working together previously in um, the banking sector, consulting, and uh, later on they spun out the team to do um, a mobile wallet for Ethereum currently, potentially later expanding to other stuff. And we're now working on how to um, basically help them on, on product UX and um, basically let them grow uh, to the next level, prepare for next round of funding, etc., etc. And this is just two of the ventures. Um, yeah, like each each such story comes in different shapes. We're working a lot with uh, DAOStack recently, which I guess it would be worth maybe diving a bit deeper because there has been a lot of things going on in this DAOStack engagement so far. For those who don't know what a DAOStack is, let's go deeper. <laughs> yeah, DAOStack. Yeah, DAOStack in itself is again like worth uh, worth like a podcast. Um, broadly speaking, DAOs, so DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, it's how do we communicate and coordinate between um, collectives and achieve, achieve desirable outcome for the collectives. Um, there's been a few experiments on that. Some of the early experiments were um, failed. There was the famous DAO hack. Um, and actually, my friend back from Israel, Matan, he's the founder of um, DAOStack. He's been researching DAOs for basically the last, I don't know, like four years, six years, whatever. And the guys have been developing the protocols from um, the holographic consensus that allows for people to achieve different kind of um, voting scenarios and um, basically allows people to manage whether it's like fund management, the collective fund management, um, culture around organizations, um, signaling for different trends. It's a very complex yet robust system that includes in it um, prediction market, um, voting of different types, um, funding of different types and, and this is just kind of like at the alpha stage of the product so um, it's like um, an organization that anyone can join and by joining you're giving certain rights and you can do you can stake a little bit of value of some sort into it so you can vote you can propose, you can do different things and the community decides which way something goes yeah, pretty much. Like um, you're, you're first also, you can receive things from the organization. You can receive reputation that will allow you to participate. And then you can propose something that you believe should be uh, discussed and potentially funded, like a project. You want to run a meetup or you want to develop a product. And then you will see if the community resonates with that 
and they want to allocate funding for that and see it through. Um, Reputation is needed because you have to prove that you are a person that exists and are actually doing work. Otherwise, anyone could just spin a bot that would create thousands of people and try to get you know a little bit of something going without being real. Do you think AI is going to dominate blockchain in the future? Yeah, interesting, actually. I, I think AI is dominate everything because it's like going to be a very powerful thing. With, with regard to like if it's required to have the identity um, declared or whatever, uh, it's kind of debated right now, actually, because some people obviously value anonymity, privacy, mm -hmm. um, yet at the same time you want to introduce mechanisms for accountability mm -hmm. and um, it's been just debated last week actually whether you can onboard a DAO member um, anonymously and stuff and it's actually not like a fully answered question yet but I think that the beauty in how um, how we deal with um, reputation in DAOs is that it's a dynamic thing it can both be slashed so you can basically like if someone is a bad actor the collective can decide to boot them out as well as it can be increased so that we don't all have the same weight. So if someone is um, uh, turning out to be an amazing contributor, naturally they would be able to ask the DAO for more reputation or the DAO would request to give them more reputation. Yeah, but there should, always, should, should also be a difference between someone who's doing amazing contributions, but it's a person that you know who is, against someone who is an entity that is anonymous. So That's the reputation debate. is different, right? That's a debate. Because like you're staking your actual identity on it, so that should count more, I think. Yeah, this, is, this, this brings an interesting topic in general in entrepreneurship. Naval often refers to this as accountability, mm -hmm. like personal accountability. You're putting your name out there. So I think, yeah, there is a place for that, particularly with softer stuff. Mm -hmm. I think with um, like softer as in like not necessarily the most quantifiable mm -hmm. math outcome, right? Um, but I think that for many, like for many reasons, there should be a place for fully anonymous um, engagement. In uh, I think there's two different things. Like to be a part of the system, you have to be known, but your vote could be anonymous, right? I personally think that like you should also be able to be anonymous. Like I actually have a few people, particularly in the BitForward community. This is a funny thing. Okay. A guy ran into me in New York when I was in East New York recently. Say, hey, because I was wearing the farting koala t-shirts um, in East New York. Hey, are you from BitForward? Said, yeah. How, how, how do you know, like, what's, what did you hear about before, whatever. He's like, oh, I am this and that. I won't disclose the name um, or, the, or the Telegram handle in that case. Um, and basically, this person we've known for really long, and we've actually worked on various things together, right? And I'm like, wow, it's so amazing to meet you in person. And we were, like, hugging, and I was like, let's take a selfie. Because <laughs> I'm like, immediately, like, let's selfie and put some emojis and stuff, do the, like, my uh, random stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, intentionally, my handle is something that, like, you wouldn't know anything about me. I don't appear in any selfies. Um, I use different, you know, identities. Handles everywhere. Nevertheless, he's an awesome contributor, and okay. he's been great help for already more than two years. So, it brings the question, 
is it something that you should allow or not? To me, I think that privacy is a sacred thing and people should be able to choose exactly at which point they uh, want to disclose what do they want to disclose and it should also be possible for them to um, stop disclosing if they wish so. So I think that this, there is definitely a place for that, um, particularly with like math style outcomes. If, for example, you're putting something out there for the community to potentially contribute, if someone wants to um, take it to their outsourcing thing and like expedite it, like it shouldn't be a problem if a bot does it or a person does it in some circumstances. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what are you working on now, apart from Alice? Yeah, so actually, no, Alice right now is mature enough for basically like Mark is really taking it to the next level and I'm having my full time on scaling bit forward so that we can support more ventures because one of the things that has been a bit of a bottleneck is that we just didn't have the, like the, the platform that would be stable enough for us to support more venture and by that like accelerate the ecosystem to the craziest uh, potential that it has as, as we want to see it. Um, so some of the work that we're doing with BitForward is actually to help that. One example that is really cool that I see happening is the Blockathon. So we've been running the Blockathon for two years and... Um, I love the Blockathon. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like kind of like the indie version of a blockchain hackathon with a very... Um, a lot of room for flexibility and creativity compared to strict um, traditional hacks. And since the first time that we ran it, we got a lot of requests from different projects or organizations all over the world that wanted to run one. Like, hey, let's run one together, come, like whether it's fly to wherever to run it or um, to support them in the process. And on the one hand, it's awesome and like traveling in crypto is kind of inevitable because like, we're like a global community and it's fun yet at the same time it's not very scalable it's kind of draining after some time and you want to have a more robust scalable thing also entrepreneurs you always think about scalability right so with DAOStack we've actually experimented in this last blockathon taking the blockathon um, online partially and we're going to take it even more online using a DAO blockathon so actually not just scaling it by making it online and um, making it available for people remotely, but also introducing the Web3 ethos into the process itself. Well, but would, would the competitors still have to be in location or they could be anywhere? So yeah, we're now actually working with... So the Blockathon initiative is something... Global Blockathon. Global Blockathon. Yeah, absolutely. Like Glo the Global Blockathon? Global blockathon. The, the global blockathon, yeah. Global blockathon. Global blockathon. <laughs> it rolls. It rhymes. Um, it, it actually that was the vision from the first, um, like from the first time that we got together with like the other partners we have. One of the partners worth giving a shout out if you'll ever get to interview him would be great as well. Is Bob Jiang. He's um, the founder of High Block Community in Beijing. Um, they have uh, all kind of events similar to Bitforward. Um, all over China and we've had this um, vision of taking the Blockathon globally and, and doing all those things that would scale it and now basically we're working both on the program for how would it look like for different scenarios whether it's like fully offline or 
half offline, half online, or fully online remote um, hacking. The idea is that um, one, it's scalability, so that you can support more um, more participants. But not just that. Also, you, we saw that there are many people that just can't afford going on a weekend. Like whether it's um, a parent that this is their only time to be with family or whatever, or someone who works on the weekend. So that ability to do asynchronous blockathon is something very, very important, um, as well as um, make it accessible to people that can't fly to, you know, like first world um, events like East New York or something like that. Like basically, yeah, this, this is something that we can maybe discuss later. We partnered with a refugee tech literacy program, Hello Future. Yeah. Um, and the idea is to eventually make those um, Web3 tech literacy programs accessible to people in, um, in low infrastructure environment. Oh, that's very interesting. I once had the dream of making a global Bitcoin or crypto event, online event, where for every paid attendee we would support two mm. free tickets. Mm. You know, in a oh yeah, I remember. Country. I remember yeah. all I just yeah. never had time to do it, but maybe it's something that we can commingle. Absolutely. Because that would be really cool. Yeah, we actually formed the DAO for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Gratitude DAO. So oh, it's, there you uh, go. Yeah, it's it's very much on that. It's yeah, like, like three years ago when I thought about it, there were no DAOs, so it probably would be a bit harder to yeah, do it. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the reasons it fell in the back burner mm. list. But yeah, we could maybe explore that. One hundred percent. Yeah, like DAOs, DAOs are, like, the way I see them is very much like what Facebook group did for, um, or Facebook did for Web2. Like, suddenly you can really organize a lot of people on a cause and stuff. Here you have the Web3 equivalent that is much more deep because it's related to a transactional monetary interaction. So, like, you can actually empower people not just harvest their data, you can actually include them in the financial system, not just push ads to them. So DAOs, to me, are like a very, very fertile ground for experimentation. I'm excited about uh, playing with this as well. Mm. So would you say that DAOs are your favorite thing about crypto? If not, what is? Um, I think like the way I see it, it's a continuum, and DAOs are right now like really hot. And they're just like, they're really demonstrating how far we've got with products, even though they're also a little bit still um, rough on the edges, a little bit rough in the core as well. Um, what's my favorite part in crypto? I'd say like the, the clear number one thing is the community. It's like nothing basically beats the excitement and the kind of interactions that you get with community just globally. Anyone that is in this rabbit hole, you can really kind of feel that you're seeing the future together. You're really like, you're really experiencing some kind of um, shared uh, ethos. Even even if there is some, some dodgy stuff happening in this ecosystem and some, some people uh, kind of like get a little bit fast, there is some shared um, like camaraderie and this is something that like definitely um, is very important. In terms of products, um, I think that I have like the things that are my areas of focus because I believe that they would bring much more adoption. And then I have the things that are my area of interest philosophically. 
in terms of area of focus, and this is also like our priority with BitForward, is three main things. It's social. So basically like any crypto-related products that are very social, we see this as like a very potent and like engagement uh, creative environment. Um, hence why DAOs are basically like very, very social. This is like direct continuation from community. Then mobile, because both many people don't have access yep. to desktop and like the only internet they know is mobile as well as many people spend much more time on the mobile screen, like it or not, it's a fact. Yep. Um, and then like, we basically see how the mass adoption is going to come from there. And then um, consumer market. So basically, after experiencing what it's like to work in the enterprise sector, it's, um, it's all right, it's interesting, it's, it's something that has to happen, but it's something that also is... Um, like working in the enterprise environment is um, slightly less paradigm shift and, and disruptive because naturally those um, those players are the incumbents, so they would move slower. They would kind of try to optimize, incrementally innovate, versus take a complete social shift in how we do everything. Yep. And that's why social, mobile, and consumer market are kind of like the main pillars for uh, venture activity that we have with Bitford. And then philosophically, it's a different thing. I actually think that we need to connect to nature a lot more. <laughs> Disconnect from the online world, the digital world, and just go camping or something. Yeah, just share much more time with nature because like, nature is, uh, is a very big part of us and we just often uh, kind of like get sucked into the matrix and it's becoming unhealthy. So I think that, um, yeah, we need to introduce much more of that in our personal lives. Cue the camping DAO. <laughs> yeah, there is a psychedelic DAO society I saw somewhere, so uh, I'm sure people are thinking about those things. So, how do you explain blockchain for those in your life that are not tech savvy? Yeah, that's a really difficult one. It really depends on the person. If it's someone that um, comes from a professional background, mm -hmm. Uh, often you'd get already like leading questions, which are, how is it even useful? Why is that? Why is this? I have I have my like um, kind of like interesting uh, conversation uh, talking points for those kind of uh, friends. Mm -hmm. And if it's someone who's like completely unaware, or or a new intern that like gets to work with us, then usually I give them a reading list. Okay. And then they come back with questions. And it's very funny. Yesterday we had a conversation with one of the interns saying, so wait a second, why would someone receive payment in crypto? And wouldn't they prefer real money? <laughs> this is like something, it's like a bit of my pet peeve. Like I, I can't hear real money referred to a made up thing by some, I don't know, like institute. Yeah. And a crypto thing which is also a made up thing just not made by that institute that is supposedly has the illusion and aura of seriousness um, yeah so like the all money is made up money all money is made up money and then what you need to understand is the network where it lies so like basically going down the rabbit hole explaining to people that are just starting with that getting them to ask those questions this is what I'm usually trying to do because 
if you're trying to kind of like pitch something to someone or, or sell them, it's just like, it's not an interesting conversation to have one. And also you don't let them arrive at their own take on that. And then how does it apply to their lives? So like what usually I would do is not so much explain, rather like give people a bit of experiences. Or often also I just onboard people to crypto already. <laughs> like here, download that wallet here. I transact just to show you how it works. Let's see what we can do with it, play a bit. And then like I have quite a few people that their first interaction with crypto was mobile wallet, human readable domains, um, getting paid to do work or something like that. For them, this is not less real than the so-called Federal Reserve real money, right? So I'm, I'm a strong believer in... Um, showing. Yeah, in like doing, showing, arriving at a result rather than like staying in the idea and talking phase, yeah. Yeah, I like that concept as well of showing first and then letting them go and find out more for themselves. Mm. Okay, do you have a favorite meme? Blockchain, Bitcoin, um, crypto meme. Oh, I, I can't think of something that comes to mind right now. Um, That's okay. You can you can send me. Yeah, your I'll, I'll send you. I have I one on uh, Joe Lubin actually. I will. I will post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you've been you've been um, with Bitfor. You've been doing some different yeah. uh, graphic stuff. Yeah, yeah. And some of your memes are really funny. Yeah, yeah. We're very visual, like so. Everything that we do has to be very visual, like otherwise it's hard to communicate. So that's why we're really investing in it. We had actually a series of memes and my favorite ones was about uh, Joe Lubin. It was um, saying Joe Lubin, AKA the Lubes, <laughs> and saying that his career achievements was nine months after spending time in Jamaica, which he really did, by the way. He's a reggae producer. He gave birth to the first Genesis block of Ethereum yeah. just making sure that everyone knows that yeah yeah that's the one we're talking yeah, about. yeah yeah there are many many blockchains I'm actually not a maximalist actually maximalism is a topic worth uh, visiting if we have time for that in this podcast if not another time yes what do you want to say about maximalism I think that maximalism is great but the right kind of maximalism. So like often people go into chain maximalism, mm -hmm. which basically is like, oh, Bitcoin is the only good chain, like everything else is problematic, it's a scam, Vitalik is a scammer, or uh, whatever, Zuko from Zcash is a scammer, all those kind of statements. I think that it's very easy to get emotional, particularly when people have their life savings tied to it and stuff like that heavy bags of coin a or b or yeah C. yeah which is i understand it's human nature but i think this is the wrong kind of maximalism to me the only maximalism i subscribe to is experimentalism maximalism and cryptopreneurship maximalism basically like go do stuff you want to see your bitcoin or your zcash or ethereum succeeds go and basically like go all in on that don't just like hold the token and like hope for it to moon or talk about it on twitter or reddit go build something build a product or organize a community or get do something get yeah. somehow. just like do something for real experiment because this is the right way to actually like iterate improve learn 
iterate again. Couldn't yeah. agree with that more. Uh, a lot of people just hold their bags and hope for for the best, but really being a part of the community and contributing is really important. Mm. And a lot of people say I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, <laughs> which I'm not. I do have Ether as well, but when it comes to savings, I only save in Bitcoin, but I use other coins to do other types of transactions. And I believe that with blockchains, we only just begun to un, you know, unpack. Everything is still to come. Mm. So it, 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 I, I don't know. I, I just think it's not right to make, try to focus on one thing right now. Yeah, I agree. I think like, yeah, you touched on really important things uh, in what you just said, because one, crypto economics as a field in economics is something that's like 10 years old. Exactly. It's like it's a really young, young kind of like field in human organization, economic, all that stuff. Yes, mechanism design existed before and people did really important work in that space. But then tying it to distributed system, collective intelligence, all those kind of new things are really experimental. And even 10 years old is just Bitcoin. Like Ethereum, which is the second largest um, and most popular one, is what, like five something? And barely now, like not even at a, like there's no ETH 2.0 and all kind of stuff. So, so there's just a lot of um, a lot of experimentation to be done before we can even claim we understand a bit of it. One, two, you were you were talking about saving, which is I think very important. Like one of the hottest topics of 2018 with the bear market and everything was DeFi, decentralized finance. A lot of it surrounding Dai stable coins, basically how people can use all kind of different tokens to either earn an interest or at least hedge out of the volatility, which naturally is what happened after the crash of the ICO wave, mm -hmm. um, which is all right. It's something that I guess it's something that we needed as a community. But at the same time, there was a question that kept bugging me during this time. And I actually discussed it with the maker team. How is it that we are hedging to a coin that is pegged to fiat, or some people would say fiat scam? Because like, we really want to move out of that hedge to fiat. If we actually just hedge it to, f to the Federal Reserve currency, yes, I do understand why like, it would be useful for remittance use cases, because it's permissionlessly transferable. All kinds of things are unlocked by using it. I get it. And you can basically like avoid being exposed to volatility. But longer term, we do want to have the ability to um, have some kind of anchor, some kind of peg, an asset that is totally independent of those really um, archaic legacy primitive systems of the central and retail banks. And I do think that right now the trend that is kind of sort of the consensus is that Bitcoin is the digital gold and therefore there should be a way to kind of peg like peg and hedge to Bitcoin in, in one way or another and, and actually there was an interesting project from the same guys that did wrapped Ether I think or, or same concept at least wrapped Bitcoin so that people can hedge to Bitcoin so those are things that I think are really cool but people are trying to hedge the volatility of Bitcoin 
volatility, not only Bitcoin, because generally Bitcoin is volatile, yes, but Bitcoin um, compared to other assets is considered more long-term, more slow-moving, and then... I think yeah. once the Bitcoin distribution is a little bit flatter, mm. and the price, even though it will continue to grow, it will stabilize a bit more, we will see like big dips, then it will be the time to use Bitcoin for hedging. But I know nothing about financial markets, so it's just my feeling, my gut feeling tells mm. me this. Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's really hard to predict. Like I, I never, you know, in every every presentation that I would give or something, I would always start with um, a disclaimer that nothing that we're talking about is financial advice. We actually should have should have said it at the beginning of the podcast. At the same time, that it's always damn good it's time to website. get into crypto. <laughs> it's on the podcast website. Yeah. So nothing we discuss is financial advice. Yeah. So so yeah, it's hard to predict. Yeah. All right. Any final words of wisdom? Um, I guess just get involved. Come to like whatever hack events. Get in the situation. Go online. Join groups do pull requests, whatever it is that your craft is, just do something in crypto, like the natural thing that will happen is that you'll be empowered and you'll contribute so everyone will benefit. If you don't have a craft yet, don't let that stop you just come anyway, you might discover your gift. Yeah, that's true that's true, a lot of people are wandering a little bit and finding then like lots of good stuff to do, there's so many opportunities, like there's whether you're a designer, speaker, um, developer, business person, community person, everything goes and you, it's very nice, like I really like seeing how uh, just the other day there was um, a guy from Brisbane actually, he won the first place in the Blockathon end of 2018 mm -hmm. and he was just uh, tweeting the other day that he's going to work in Omizigo in Thailand, nice. that he met them in the Edcon um, hack that we hosted with uh, yeah. uh, all the rest of the awesome communities in UNSW, so this is like really awesome, you see how people are coming, participating, playing, having fun and are getting awesome opportunities for their career and it's like everyone's benefiting. Awesome. Thank you for being here today in the chat. Thanks for having me. And that was Daniel Barr. If you like this episode and want to connect with Daniel, talk about your project, the Ventures Network, taking part or hosting a blockathon, you can connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Daniel T. Barr. For questions, suggestions, or just to stay in touch, connect with me on Twitter at abelotti. All links to handles and websites are on the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you at the next block. Bye.